You're listening to the official Dietitian Connection podcast. This podcast gives you access to the most successful and influential experts in the dietetic profession. This podcast will inspire you, it will challenge you, and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realize your dreams. Hello, I am Libby from Dietitian Connection, and I'm very excited today to be interviewing Dr. Crushy. I want to introduce you to her today. She is currently a full staff member with primary appointment in Department of Pediatric Gastroenterology from Cleveland Clinic Children's Hospital and joint appointments in both the Department of Inflammation and Immunity of Learner Research Institute, the Department of Gastroenterology, Hepatology, Nutrition, Digestive Disease, and Surgery Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Her specialty interests include nutrition, gut microbiome, digestive disease, surgery, critical care, enteral feeding, intestinal, and liver diseases. Dr. Crushy has won countless awards spanning over the past four decades such as the prestigious 2018 Stanley Dudrick Research Scholar Award from the American Society of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition, Excellence in Practice of Dietetics Research Award, recipient from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics in 2009, Excellence in Practice from Nutrition from Clinical Nutrition Award recipient from the Dietetic Association 2010, Distinguished Nutrition Support Dietitian Advanced Clinical Practice Award from the American Society for Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here today, and I'm, uh, I cannot wait to introduce you and your work and your research to the community. So I know that you conduct nutrition research, both laboratory and clinical, and I know you mentor, I read online that you mentor staff and clinical dietitians with their research projects, and you chair the Center of Human Nutrition Research Committee. Can you talk about mentorship in dietetics? and maybe any stories that you have or experiences that stand out. Sure. Um, Yeah, no, I think mentorship is really important, not only in dietetics, but in any area, whether it's professional or, you know, just as a student or anywhere in life. And what's interesting in dietetics is the field is very vast and there's so many outlets, so many different areas that you could work in. And... It's particularly, I find particularly important for mentorship um, early stages in those formative years when you're just trying to explore the field. But also I'm finding it's more like um, after you've been in the field for 15, around 15 years, 10, 15 years, I've started to note that dietitians uh, start to think about should they make a change um, in their career path? And I've actually had several approach me at that stage as well. So from students to dietetic interns to, you know, more, I don't want to say like midlife, mid-career crisis kind of thing, but trying to see if there's some kind of a shift um, in their career path that they could make. I actually did the same thing um, personally. Uh, you know, I started out... Um, as a dietitian, but I did my, I started out in the military. I was in the army and I did the army dietetic internship program stationed at Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, DC. And I have to say that's probably the first good mentorship that I've had. Um, 
in, in dietetics with my two internship directors that I had. One was military, uh, Colonel Dave Store, and the other one, she was civilian, um, Cheryl Holstetler. And they were just really wonderful mentors to us seven interns that were there, helping us to guide uh, not only throughout our internship, but then in the Army, once you finish your internship, then you go off to your first duty assignment, you know, and help us all try to figure out what was the best placement for us. And then they continued to follow up with us, um, you know, after after we had um, been in our first assignment and, and from there on. And actually, I ran into both of them uh, just about a couple weeks ago at the FENCI conference, which was in Washington, D.C. So that was an exciting time to see them. But, you know, those early years are really important to have someone, um, you know, kind of be your guide, your mentor. And then um, and then later in life, I in career, I've, I found other mentors and I would say that they weren't dietitians, um, the mentors that I've had since then. They were um, surgeons. I worked very closely with the surgeon, uh, Bob Martindale, and he I met him in the Army. We were both stationed in Georgia at Eisenhower, Eisenhower Army Medical Center in Augusta, Georgia at Fort Gordon. And um, from there, we went across town, both of us, to the Medical College of Georgia, which I had uh, 17 years there. I worked as a, a nutrition support dietitian in Department of Surgery. So I was a dietitian in Department of Surgery, not the food and nutrition. So I was separated from the other dietitians, but, you know, had to work together as a team with them. But my mentors there were surgeons, and he helped mentor me. He encouraged me to kind of grow, and, and my role there was not only to see patients, but was to educate surgical residents and medical students that were rotating through um, the surgery service. And um, I had to really perform and educate at the level of a physician, you know, physician expected. So being the nutrition expert there. So a lot of mentorship there, a lot of challenges, which were really great for me, informative. And then from there, I, I, I did that midlife Christ, career crisis thing and realized I wanted to expand my education. And I had gotten a master's degree, but I wanted to get a doctorate. And I wasn't sure what to go into. It was actually a surgery resident who encouraged me to pursue my PhD there at the Medical College of Georgia. And, and I did. So I got a PhD in um, biomedical sciences with a uh, focus in uh, biochemistry and molecular biology. And that has really changed my entire uh, career ever since. And so it's just those little um, conversations that you have and someone guiding you, but not, um, you know, they're guiding you, but they're not, um, there's, they don't really have a vested interest in, in personally in what you're doing. They're just there to help you. And that that's, I think, is really important when you try to find a good mentor. I have a mentor now too, a professional mentor, at Cleveland Clinic, they encourage um, all staff, uh, faculty staff, to have a mentor, professional mentor. And so my mentor is um, has nothing to do with nutrition. He's a, um, a well-renowned uh, researcher, and he's actually mentoring me in my research career, you know, making sure I'm doing the right things. And because now my goals are to 
publish uh, important work as well as, you know, uh, obtain grant funding. And so these are all really challenging things for anyone. And so to have a mentor in that process as well. So I think it's just really always important. And, and if you, you know, search out someone and you think at first they'd be a good mentor, but then you're finding they're not, you just don't click with them It you know, find somebody else to help you. And it doesn't, like I say, have to be someone necessarily in your field. Yeah, I, I love those tips. And uh, thank you for your storytelling about your past. And I think what, what stands out to me from your reflections on mentorship is that the mentors do not have to be in dietetics. And I think even more so when we look beyond dietetics, and when you talk about working with physicians and teaching them and providing mentorship in that capacity, that really sets a great precedent for our field. Because in order to expand our message as dietitians, we really need to work with other intercollaborative teams to extend our messages. So it's really helpful. Yeah, I agree. Do you have any tips, you know, when you're mentioning mentorship, clearly it's helped you with your career and your impact in dietetics. Do you have any tips for how one might be able to decide if that mentor relationship is working or what parameters can somebody reflect on to know if that mentorship is helping them? Um. I think, you know, from my own personal experience, there's some people that, you know, they may just come up to you and and start giving you some um, advice and something may not click. Like you're like, okay, thank you for that advice, but it's not really me. You know, I can't see, you know, something's not, you know, in sync with what you're hearing. And you've, you've got to go with your, you know, your gut feeling on, on how that relationship and, and what they're trying to advise you. Does it really make sense? Can you picture yourself doing these things? And I mean, and I had that, um, I've had some bad um, advice too. And I've had, you know, not only in the military, but outside of the military, I've had, you know, different um, supervisors, uh, different uh, bosses per se. And, you know, they, they try to, you know, it was more of a controlling kind of situation rather than a mentorship or it's, um, I, I don't know if you should quote me on this, but it's what, you know, it's almost like they're, they're trying to get you to do something because it will better them and not necessarily better you, but it's going to make them look good. And that's not a good, that's not a mentor. A mentor should be guiding you. It really has nothing will have no impact on them whatsoever, however, how, if you do well. And that is something you have to, you know, all of a sudden dawns on you like, okay, yeah, this would be great if I do this, but you know, that's really going to help that person even more. And um, so it should be separate. And that's where I think finding a, sometimes a mentor outside of your field can be helpful because if you're doing, if you're successful, it's not going to impact them necessarily. They can put it on their you know, CV that they mentored someone. And that's important in some situations, but uh, professionally it won't benefit them. And that, that to me, and that's like Cleveland Clinic's mentorship program. That's actually what they encourage is that you find someone that has nothing to do with what you're doing um, to help guide you. Incredible insights and advice. Thank you so much for your reflections on mentorship. It's really helpful. I, All right, great. So your research program, more about that at Cleveland Clinic, uh, does involve both clinical and basic science experimental designs. 
studying the gut microbiome. Can you tell us what you're working on or what you're most excited about in the world of gut health? Yeah, actually, I've been interested in this since um, I was in Georgia and I was doing, I was actually working on my master's degree and I had a course I was taking in functional foods. So this is back, I'm dating myself, this is back in the 90, late 1990s. And there was one week of the course, um, there was a, it was about probiotics and I was fascinated with it. And it was also at the time clinically where, you know, antibiotics were losing their effectiveness. I'm working in critical care setting, um, immune modulated enteral formulas were just hitting the market and the whole concept of, wow, we can actually help modulate the immune function so we can fight our own infections and not have to rely on antibiotics that are now, and not much was known about the gut microbiome back then, but I was still fascinated. And that's what, you know, actually led me to do my PhD and what I did because I was like, why are we, should we be giving these probiotics to these really sick patients? I don't know that we should. I think there's something that might, and so anyway, um, you know, getting now being able to study things at the cellular and molecular level is really what I was after. And what's also interesting about that is um, the field of nutrition, it's really lacking good, hard evidence in many areas. And it's because our, our nutrition that we, we provide to uh, patients or just, you know, healthy population, things we do, it doesn't require, you know, uh, regulation under the Food and Drug Administration like medications do. And so the rigor of the science isn't necessarily there like it is for different drugs. And so I was um, interested in trying to, you know, move beyond that and actually try to find some science for why things may work or not work. And nutritional things that we do for our, our patients. So what my work does is um, I look at gut microbiome, but I look at it more in the aspect of where it's gone awry. So gut dysbiosis and different situations where we already know there's gut dysbiosis and try to find um, nutritionally based approaches to mitigate the pathologies that that's associated with the gut dysbiosis. So in the laboratory, I have two areas of research that I majorly focus on right now, um, two animal-based research. One is in the area of alcohol, ethanol-based um, injury, and how ethanol, we it's already known now, it does induce gut dysbiosis, and you know there's associated liver uh, disease. So I look at the impact of ethanol on gut liver injury and um, I've been working on um, the molecule, the fermentation byproduct of the gut microbiota, butyrate, and I've been designing um, a symbiotic that's butyrate yielding and try to see if that can mitigate the gut liver injury. The other area that I study is antibiotics. And so while antibiotics destroy pathogenic bacteria, they also uh, target the good bacteria in the intestine. And we're now knowing, you know, more lasting negative effects of that. There was a paper that just is coming out looking at the association of children um, early in life exposed to antibiotics um, and how they're more likely to become obese. And so, um, so 
these kinds of things. So I'm looking at antibiotics and Clostridium difficile infections. So, um, and again, trying to find nutritionally based approaches through different probiotics that secrete their own antibiotics or otherwise known as bactericins um, to help protect against um, the C. diff colonization and infection. Other areas um, that I'm work that I'm expanding into, uh, it do involve around pediatrics. So I've been looking at um, pediatric non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So we know with the rise of obesity, it's happening in our children as well. And so all the metabolic disorders, um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is also rising in children. And um, so trying to investigate um, and try to prevent it from progressing to adult stage is, is what was. So I'm collaborating with um, a pediatric gastroenterologist on that project. Another area of research is with uh, pediatric inflammatory bowel disease. And so I'm collaborating with one of the, another pediatric gastroenterologist in that area. So those are, and then we're also doing some work with liver transplantation, which is exciting as well. So those are some of the main, the main focus areas I have in my own personal research. That's incredible. I have one of your studies pulled up, the role of the gut microbiome in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and all of your publications are very impressive. So thank you for providing all this insight for both dietitians and the medical field, because your collaboration with doctors and surgeons and, and pediatrics is, is really intercollaborative and helpful for us, specifically in the clinical setting, to see what our opportunities could be. So that's really great. Oh, thank you. I, I see that you presented at, as you had mentioned earlier, at FENCI, the Food and Nutrition Conference Expo, just this past year in October. Uh, and you presented, your presentation was transforming daily clinical practice into useful data. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and any tips for making the most out of live conferences to build professional development and connection skills? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, no, I, I co-presented that um, symposium with uh, Sharon Foley, who's out of Rush in Chicago, and uh, Jane Ziegler was our moderator. She's at Rutgers. And um, it was a nice session. So, the, you know, the main focus is we're really trying to push, like I mentioned earlier, about the need for nutrition-based research and really trying to push dietitians to be the leaders in driving the, this, um, this need and producing. And so it's challenging, you know, to, um, to do research, particularly if you are, uh, have a very busy clinical practice. And so you have to carve out uh, extra time, separate time to do the research and just work it in. And so what this symposium was really about was um, how to, you know, come up with your research idea, formulate your hypothesis. And then my, my portion of the symposium, I talked about, you know, how to, you have your idea, now how to get funding for it, because that is, that's a big challenge. It's a challenge for anyone trying to do research. Um, the funding sources through the National Institutes of Health have really just diminished over the last several years. So it's very, very competitive to get an NIH grant. But I talked more about um, how there's other avenues of, you know, research funding 
through different foundation sources, different um, associations, maybe even internal within your own institution. And then when you have an idea and you have, you've identified where you want to apply for funding, then how to write your proposal. What are the different components that go into a research proposal? How to make your um, research idea very compelling? And it's really about telling your story and uh, making sure that whoever's reviewing your grant uh, at the end, they say, yes, we actually have to, we absolutely have to fund this research. And then at the end of that, I, I moved into the, so you do your research, but it's very, very important to present it, not only at conferences, but also the next and very important step is to publish it. And, you know, the important fact that we need dietitians to be publishing this good data. And it, it's not only going to help the field of nutrition and validate the need for nutrition in caring for patients and to help mitigate disease, but it's also going to elevate the status of the dietitian if they're the leaders of doing this research. They're the ones that are the principal investigators. They're the ones that are the corresponding authors on these papers. That's what's really going to help um, elevate uh, our status in, in, and recognition. So that's kind of what we, what we talked about. Incredibly inspiring, uh, especially because that's something I personally work on. Now, I'm just curious because I don't know if you know the stats, but how many dietitians, whether in clinical or not, are really doing this, are creating proposals, looking for funding, pitching their ideas? Like, is this common? Because, I mean, I, I'm not sure. Is that in your work? Has, have you come across many dietitians who are really in this avenue or are you just trying to advocate that they should be? Um, you know, I don't know the stats either. Um, I think it's growing. I okay. think more and more dietitians are uh, pursuing, you know, more advanced degrees. You know, as the academy is pushing that um, dietitians will have to have a master's degree, this many, uh, of course, master's degree programs require you to do some type of research project. And so they're getting more advanced skills and um, how to conduct research, how to evaluate research. And so this is really going to help, you know, drive this and move it forward. I do personally know um, many dietitians who, like myself, have now gone on and, and obtained a, um, earned a Ph.D., and, you know, in different areas of um, focus areas, but still, they're still focused in nutrition. And so this has really helped. I serve on um, review committees for research review committees for both um, the American Society for Parental and Nutrition, And I also chair the research committee for Dietitians in Nutrition Support, which is a practice group of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And so, um, you know, looking at, we just did the grant reviews for Aspen and I would have to say, we, it was very competitive this year. There are a lot of grants being submitted, um, as opposed to prior years. And that's because of the lack of funding, um, availability through NIH, but very good proposals came in. And I would say half of them probably were from dietitians as the principal investigators, which is exciting was very encouraging. And um, and then we actually got some really good proposals this year 
um, through DNS because we offer a grant. Um, and so we, we have a call once a year for grant proposals. So I, I'm hoping it's going to grow. That's what we're trying to push. I know the Academy is pushing that and um, it's, it's needed for sure. I, I absolutely agree. Uh, so the resources for the dietitian interested would be the academy and practice groups and funding. Is that correct? That's one area. Um, that's what I presented that there's, you know, depending on what your area of practice is, and that's mm-hmm. what I said earlier, you know, nutrition is so, so broad, but there's available funding through any, really any foundation. So if you're involved with diabetes, the American Diabetes Association has excellent grants. Um, if you're involved with anything GI, gastrointestinal, um, the American Society of Gastroenterology also has amazing grant availability. You know, the American Heart Association, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. It really, you know, you just have to explore, you know, whatever area. And there's a lot of grants out there. So um, so you don't have to go to NIH. There's a lot through the foundations. And what's nice about those is there's some that are targeted for early investigators or students. So if you have a student and, you know, a dietetic intern would count as a student. Um, so that opportunity is there as well to help encourage all that mentorship we were talking about earlier. And, you know, the earlier I think someone in their field gets involved with research, the more likely they're to integrate it throughout their practice. And I, I can say that from personal experience. I got involved very early while I was still in the Army uh, doing research. And the other thing I was going to say is a lot of dietitians they may not... Um, think about research, but they're definitely doing quality improvement projects. If you work in any type of clinical s- setting, we're always doing quality improvement projects. And a lot of those can be turned into a research project. And um, so if you're working and developing those kind of proposals, it's not that much different to do a research proposal. It's just a matter of, you know, seeing it through and and then all the other components that you would have to do. I love that because it sounds, uh, for, for those who might feel a little intimidated by this topic, which is important, I feel like starting with quality improvement is a great way to build that foundation and absolutely use your you know, networking and mentorship opportunities to help you, know, help you set a foundation. And it sounds like the gold standard should be that dietitians are doing research in some capacity throughout their career to uh, elevate our our professional development and elevate what we do. It sounds like that's really important. So I had a question about your work as a nutrition thread leader for Cleveland Clinic Learner College of Medicine. I read that your role is to integrate the medical curriculum with pertinent nutrition content throughout the five-year medical school curriculum. Can you speak to this process and its problems and challenges? Yeah, this is another hat that I wear here at Cleveland Clinic. And it was interesting how it came about. Um, so Cleveland Clinic has an, um, a relatively small medical school program. There's 32 students per year. But it's a unique program in that it is a five-year program. And that's because one of the years uh, the students are working on a research project. And so they're really the goal of the medical school is to train physician scientists. And 
It was a couple years ago, and uh, I think it was the end of t- about this time of year, 2014. And the CEO of Cleveland Clinic at the time was interested. He's Toby Cosgrove. He's not our CEO. He retired um, about a year ago. But he was very interested in learning what kind of nutrition content was being uh, provided in the medical school. And, of course, the dean of the medical school was like, I don't know. So let's find out. Let's do a thorough search. So in a roundabout way, this vast uh, facility of Cleveland Clinic, they found me, which I was really thankful for. They found me and they asked me if I would chair a task force um, to work on this, this, um, this question. So I chaired a task force, which was interdisciplinary. I had um, many different, I had physicians as well as um, uh, you know, researchers, PhD researchers, but I also had um, some of the medical students themselves on the committee. And we poured through the curriculum and we tried, you know, so I organized this task force to identify what nutrition was already being um, taught in the medical school and then try to come up with um, concepts and content that we thought should be provided to these medical students, knowing, and the whole gist about why the CEO is so interested in this is, you know, knowing that chronic diseases are on the rise and realizing that he realized, of course, that nutrition has a huge component of this. And so our future physicians need to make sure that they're educated in nutrition to help care for their future, you know, their patients that every, you know, all their patients are going to have these problems. And, um, so he wanted to make sure that this was happening and most medical schools do not have adequate nutrition. It's recommended to have at least 25 hours of nutrition content a year, you know, for the students throughout their whole medical school. And there's been a lot of papers published that there's been surveys looking at that. And, there are, are very, there's maybe a handful of schools that meet that, um, that recommendation. So we, um, we came up with these concepts and everything and content. I presented it to our um, steering committee that, fall, that summer. It got approved and they made me the thread leader. So what that means is that we have um, this our curriculum has courses, you know, there's a course in physiology, there's a course in gastroenterology, but um, we also have threads. And so what a thread is, is it's content that's deemed important enough um, that in every stage of, you know, medicine, that it's woven throughout all five years in every course where it's deemed pertinent. So such other examples of threads would be like immunology is a thread. Um, physiology is actually a thread. Uh, so they made nutrition a thread as opposed to a standalone course where students may just, you know, study it and then just forget about it. So they get, so my goal is to integrate this content that we come up with. I, I come up with a lot of it and, um, and get it integrated into the curriculum for the students throughout their whole five years. Amazing. And is this being done in other similar, uh, you know, colleges of medicine, or is this something very unique? Because I know you're saying a lot don't have at least 25 hours, but are there other 
um, institutions doing something similar to what you're doing? I think um, I just actually was contacted um, from another school. She found out about what, you know, we were doing. And um, but, you know, each each school is going to have a unique situation on what they have available. So it's just that our program is set up this way. Um, traditional four-year programs, uh, I'm not sure if they could do it like this or, you know, but certainly there's other schools that have um, different ways that they're doing content. Um, but so it really depends on the situation. We're actually, I'm getting ready, I'm writing up a paper about our experience. It's in, re, it's in revision right now. I'm hoping to resubmit it this week, actually. Um, to publish it so we can share our experience and hopefully get the word out so other schools might be able to replicate something similar to really increase this this knowledge. And what's really been exciting is um, a lot of the schools, they end up doing, you know, the education is in the first two years. When I was in Georgia, I taught um, at the Medical College of Georgia. I did teach the first and second years um, some nutrition. And it turned out my research mentor, PI, he was um, in charge of the biochemistry course. And so he actually got me, he said, Gail, you need to teach these students. So I was teaching about seven hours in the first and second year. And then of course, I taught the students when they rotated in through department of surgery. Um, we did it there. But a lot of schools are only do if they have it, the courses are only in the first and second year um, during the didactic phases of medical school, but not in the clinical rotation. So it's very random, you know, the kind of content students would receive. It really it depends on what facility they're at and what type of nutrition clinicians are there to help teach them and their experience. So what I've been working on um, is now getting the content into the third third year in particular. So I do um, some didactic sessions with the students um, in the third year, as well as I just created uh, this year a clinical nutrition elective. And so the students have to take electives. So we have a two-week elective that we've developed and so I organize it so the student, during that two weeks, they actually work with the dietitians here at Cleveland Clinic in the different areas, usually a day at a time in the different areas. And they actually work, you know, side by side, just really like what a dietetic intern would be doing, side by side with the dietitian and um, getting that firsthand experience of nutrition. But it's coming from a dietitian teaching them. So, um, and it's been really well received. So I'm really excited about it. That's really incredible. I, I, I love hearing about that. I've done some research on what's called PNS, Physician Nutrition Specialist, which is an exam where physicians can become more educated about nutrition fundamentals and integrate that within their institution or practice. I'm not sure if you've heard of anything like that, but it sounds like there might be some small, some efforts to integrate nutrition, but I've never heard of something as formal as what you're involved with. So I'm excited to follow up and, and read your paper when it's published and see what you're what you're doing in that capacity. It's great. Uh, so do you have any, any other thoughts about on how you see nutrition integrated with curriculums in the future? Because it, it sounds like you want, you're advocating for that to happen more regularly. 
And so are there maybe any resources or groups or organizations that you can recommend for getting involved with curriculum integration? Um, wow, that's a good question. I'm still learning myself. <laughs> I, um, it's fortunately here, Cleveland Clinic, the, the program is really good. Like tomorrow we have a retreat for our medical school. So one of the things, the retreat is for, you know, all the faculty that are teaching here. And, you know, one of the big things is um, about teaching and teaching millennials and how they learn. And, you know, the way that we learned um, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, isn't the way the students learn now. And um, trying to, you know, come up with that. But uh, so most of so I'm not I'm not the best person because I'm still like all of that formal education. I'm, I'm learning that myself. I come at things more from my clinical experience and what I believe the students should know. And, you know, looking at what other um, associations recommend. I think one of the challenges, though, that, you know, I have and many others will have or do have is when you have to teach this nutrition content, you know, we don't get paid to teach here. You know, it's it's expected that, you know, if you're going to take a student, you know, physicians, it's just part of their daily practice. But we also don't have m that many people that can teach the nutrition content. And um, so, of course, the dietitians know, but there's other things with the students that, you know, that, you know, beyond what our dietitians are doing. And so I do struggle sometimes trying to find faculty. And of course, I don't have time to teach everything. So I've had to be kind of clever and how to integrate the content without requiring, you know, necessarily a staff person or faculty there to teach it. So we do a lot of um, problem-based learning and what that, and so a lot of the students, it's student driven. And what you have is a, they get a case study that has, you know, key points and objectives that they have to work through and they kind of teach themselves. And so you develop a facilitator guide and there's a facilitator there to kind of guide them. So if they're going off track on a tangent, that's not, a pro, you know, correct that facilitator brings them back to the content. So I've been trying to, um, revise a lot of our problem-based learning sessions to incorporate nutrition into those. And, um, you know, I've started now with the first year students. So they're starting, these are clinical scenarios, even though they don't really learn pathology into their second year of medical school, they start to kind of introduce it in the first year. But they, with these cases, they always start out with, you know, physical exam. And so I've started to incorporate like a nutrition focused physical exam and and information about nutrition history. So that my goal is that if these students start seeing it in their first year, it's going to be common to them that when they see the review of systems that they're looking for nutrition uh, components. So that by the time they get to their third year, it's going to be like, it's a no brainer just, you know, to look for these kinds of things. Cause we we're just starting to teach the students, you know, nutrition focused physical exam because they're not typically getting that. So that's been, you know, a strategy. And then with the, so a lot of my time is up front with the developing of the facilitator guide. And then all I have to do, you know, every year is update that. Whereas, so I don't have to physically be present there to teach or somebody else. Amazing. Really, your advocacy in the field of, of nutrition and medicine is really inspiring. So thank you for what you do.
what motivates you with continuing to make such a cutting edge impact and such a strong, impactful message about nutrition research specifically? Um, I don't, I don't know. I just, I think it's just that, you know, I realize how important it is to, um, and, and when you're doing things properly with your nutrition and it's a important component, integral component of your lifestyle that, you know, you can prevent, um, chronic diseases, prevent the need for taking medications. And so I think trying to come up with the evidence to support that and really drive, you know, patients really listen to their physician, your dietitian struggle because, and so if the physician believes in it, not that the physician would actually be doing the education themselves, they can start the process, but that they have the knowledge now to refer to the dietitian and the patient knows, oh, my physician really said this is important to go see this dietitian. I should listen to this dietitian. That when the dietitian is seeing the patient doing their role, the, the patient's going to pay attention and it's just going to kind of complete the whole circle. And hopefully, you know, futuristically, I'm being optimistic that, you know, we can, you know, counteract a lot of this rise of chronic disease. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a, a really great practice or position paper, position statement from the Academy from July 2000 and I believe 17 about integrating medicine and nutrition and with respect to dietitians playing a role with being teaching, doing case studies, being involved in the clinical setting. But some of the barriers include dietitians maybe feeling like when they teach physicians that physicians won't need them anymore. So I think, do you have any tips on how to help dietitians realize that educating physicians is only going to help impact our message and it's not necessarily going to isolate us from them? Do you have any tips about that? Is that just a mindset issue? Because I feel like that comes up a lot. No, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up um, because I have gotten that. Um, I've heard that from dietitians telling me that. And I was like, oh, no. And I remember um, when I was in Georgia, so same thing. You know, I would teach these uh, surgeons, surgery residents, how to do stuff. And I'm like, oh, it's going to take away my job. And, um, you know, the surgeon I was working with, he's like, no, it's not. Next year, you're going to have a whole new group coming in <laughs> and you're going to have to start all over again. But um, the thing is that these physicians, they need to be aware. And like I said, they can start the process and they can encourage the patient that this is important. But in reality, they don't have time to do this. You know, reality, pay physicians have 15 maximum if they have the luxury, 30 minutes to spend with a patient, there is no way they can provide all of the exam and everything else they have to do with the patient and, and a good nutrition education for those patients. So I think, you know, my role is where I try to get the student to be working with the dietitian is that now, especially the ones that have been taking this nutrition elective, because I follow up with them and I do a I uh, review, you know, when I do their review after they've finished and they're all like, oh yeah, I didn't realize the dietitian did all that. I really appreciate what they're doing. And so it's only building awareness of what the dietitian actually does and it's very impactful. So I think it, the dietitian shouldn't be worried about that um, and it should only be encouraged that now they'll have the support 
and it's just going to make their their role grow. Yeah, I, that's really wonderful practical advice. Thank you. Um, one of my my final question is: What are your thoughts on social media in dietetics? Are you involved online at all via uh, any social media channels? Uh, not really. Um, I do. I'm on LinkedIn. But I really don't do any other social media. But what I do note is um, I think if dietetics is involved, to just make sure the messages that are going out are, you know, sound messages and evidence-based. Because the field of nutrition, you know, dietetics, we we tend to be, you know, very focused, evidence-based. But there's a lot of people out there that want to say they're nutritionists. And there's so there's a lot of crazy information out there and, you know, what drives people to one uh, posting versus another. So I think the more that, you know, um, good information that can be sent out to counteract some of the quackery that's out there, that's important. But I personally, that it just takes so much time. I don't have that kind of time to do that. But I completely understand. So any, thank you for your, for your answers and for your inspiration today. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave us with or um, any opinions you want to wrap up with today? Uh, no, not really. I just want to thank you um, for the opportunity and um, it's really been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure for me and a, a, a highlight. I can't wait for dietitians around the globe to be tuned into what you do and your contributions in medicine, research, and dietetics. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast. If you haven't already, we would love for you to check out the other episodes that we have available. We speak to trailblazers, dietitians who are doing amazing work within their practice and their businesses and also those who have really changed and advanced our profession. There's a whole library to choose from. And if you did enjoy the show, it would be so great if you could leave a review for us on iTunes and also uh, to pass this podcast on to your colleagues and friends. Thanks again for listening.